welcome everyone to the Short Tempered Podcast. My name is Max, and I am here with my co-host Abby. Hey guys, um, you know this has been a definitely a long time coming for both of us. Um, been planning this for the last couple months for sure. Got the idea for a podcast late in the summer, and I thought, you know, who other than Max to start a podcast with? Because you know we're best friends from high school. Now we're in college, but we always have great conversations on sports, politics, and music, and something that really bonded our friend group together. So I'm glad that we're finally having a chance to, you know, talk about these things and connect it through the things that we always love talking about. And Abi, I'm so glad that you are. You reached out to me with the idea to have this podcast because I think our conversation is some of the more interesting out of. Um, anyone in, in our friend group or anyone really I'll at take. all um take. okay but i agree though i think our our style of how we conversate kind of explains the title of our podcast uh short tempered the short part of it is rather self-explanatory of us two being a rather small in stature with me slightly taller than Ubi. Um okay i wouldn't say that <laughs> but the the idea behind it is oftentimes Abby and I get into rather fiery and intense uh, debates of which we have rather short tempers, but we would like this conversation to be not a yelling and screaming match like it, it often devolves to, but as rather a model for how conversation should occur. We will have discussions about things we agree on, and we will have conversations and discussions about things we disagree on. But in the spirit of having good and engaging conversation, we hope to always be respectful, always listen to each other, and always try to understand each other's viewpoints. And so while we are short-tempered, we would like to use this podcast as a way to break out from our shells and, and model effective conversation. Yeah, well, at least we'll try. But yeah, we hope that you enjoyed the first episode of the Short Tempered Podcast. LeBron James with an attitude mm-hmm. excites me mm-hmm. because I think that even after 19 years entering his 20th season in the NBA, after the year that they had last year, this brother's going to be on another level. So let's delve into sports. It is a good time to be a sports fan. We are in the middle of the football season where the baseball world series is underway and basketball has just started their first week of play as Abby and I are uh, big basketball fans. Let's start off with, uh, how about give us your most surprising storyline of the first week? I don't know if this is surprising or not. Um, you know, I, I think I'm still surprised by it. I think the Lakers fell to, is it Owen four now? Oh, yeah um look I think this is is something that you know this team gets a lot of hate for and I'm I'm a ride or die LeBron fan I think Max uh will disagree with that a little bit for sure yeah you'll see you'll see over the course of this podcast uh, a differing view on towards LeBron um but I think I think I think it's very very interesting I think you know you have you have this team that was kind of assembled like a super team, you know, Russ, AD, LeBron, injuries really hurt them last season. 
you know, they couldn't get even close to where they wanted to get initially. Um, and but at the end of the day, it really seems like a team building issue, right? LeBron is a player that needs shooters and he's had that in his past. And when he does have shooters, he's successful. And I think that's something that this team really, really needs. Yeah, I mean, I think the point about kind of the team building is critical. I mean, if you look back throughout LeBron's career, when his success in Miami filled with shooters, his success in Cleveland surrounded by shooters, even his first championship in LA had a bunch of very adequate shooters that were able to space the floor for LeBron, allow him to work inside along with Anthony Davis. And I think the acquisition of Russ really was opposing what they needed to do in order to build for LeBron. And as we see from their, you know, 0-4 start, which is LeBron's worst start since his rookie year, which is Wow. Very, very surprising. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But it begs the question, who is to blame? Is it a Rob Palinka issue? The GM is, is, is he at fault for, you know, mismanaging this team? Is it a, is a LeBron fault for endorsing Russell Westbrook, even though in the bubble, he, you know, played against Russell Westbrook and was taunting him for how bad his shooting was. Who, who do you kind of think deserves blame in this scenario? Look, I think you can blame Polinka all you want. You can blame everything around LeBron as much as you want. But at the end of the day, he's Le GM, he's Le Coach, and he's LeBron. So I think you need to – some blame needs to go to him. Um, at the end of the day, any team is going to give him whatever he wants. Um, but he needs to know what is good for him as well. So it seems like at this point, you know, if I was the Lakers GM or if I was LeBron himself – I would be looking at it like, okay, I need to win as soon as possible. I don't have too many years left in the league. Um, he's probably trying to you know, play with his son, it seems like. Um, but I think AD and Russ have a lot of trade value still, even though it's substantially declined. I do think there's a lot of people saying out there that, you know, AD might be someone that you need to get rid of. You need to, you know, there's there's a lot of trade asset over there for, for shooters. Um, and, and you can bring in someone with, uh, decent star power as well through an AD trade. Uh, that's a controversial take for sure, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, the statement that Russell Westbrook has trade value is quite comical indeed. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I am wondering what value that is besides maybe like a used toothbrush. But um, <laughs> I, I think a, a potential trade for Anthony Davis is interesting, kind of depending on what route the Lakers want to go, whether they see their future built around Anthony Davis or they see the future as kind of like, let's stack some picks. And after LeBron's gone, let's kind of reevaluate for LeBron. Certainly he wants to play with his son and certainly he wants to win more championships, but I think it's fairly clear that he's given up this year and given up in the sense to compete for a championship. I think this year is, is solely his conquest to become the leading scorer in the NBA. I think every night he's going to, as we've seen, play defense in spurts, but get his 25 and, you know, slowly climb his way and eventually pass Kareem. And he can kind of, in the history books, he'll be able to write off this season as kind of like a, oh, this is the year I passed Kareem, not this is the year like we had an atrocious team and I was like the best player on that team. So I think think LeBron is kind of using this as a – just a year to pass Kareem. And then after this year, he's going to say, can we reevaluate? 
Can we look to trade someone? Can we look to maybe sign a free agent like Kyrie that'll be on the market that's expressed interest to come to LA? So I think there's definitely a bunch of moving avenues, but as far as this season, I don't, I don't know how far the Lakers are, are really going to go. Look, if you're LeBron, there's absolutely zero chance that you're looking at this and you're like, I'm four games in, I'm going to like give up on the whole season. That, that doesn't make sense. There's four games, there's 82 games in the NBA season. Um, you know, like I said, the trade uh, deadline is very far away. They can, a lot can happen in that time span. And, you know, LeBron doesn't need a super high seed in the playoffs to make uh, something happen. We've seen it before where he's, you know, a four or five seed team and, and they go to the championship. And maybe that was in a weaker Eastern, Eastern conference before, but if he gets the right assets, I still think LeBron has it in him for sure. Um, it, it's definitely harder to, you know, have this MJ LeBron debate uh, in the past couple of, of years. So we'll see, but I don't think it's a, it's a given up season. I think the, th- the thing with cr- the scoring title is going to happen no matter what. Um, obviously that's probably in the back of his mind, but I don't think, I don't think so at all. I think he's still, he's still contending to win and that, cause that's, what's going to put him in the conversation for the go again. Yeah. I mean, that's the look, the Lakers, the whole story is going to evolve throughout the year. And eventually when he passes Kareem, that'll be a big milestone. But the, the storyline that's really in, intrigued me is, uh, the whole talk around, uh, Victor Wembenyama, the French prospect who's projected by everyone to go number one in this uh, upcoming NBA 2023 draft. The teams, though, we've seen are, before the season, seeming to posture to see who can sell all of their assets in order to get a pick and then who can lose the most amount of games in order to get the best chance to get the number one pick. But the most surprising team to me has been the Utah Jazz, who um, I believe currently sit at three and one. Four and uh, one. Oh, four and one. Yeah. Just beat so, the Rockets. Just beat the Rockets in the last night. Right. That's correct. So to me, that's crazy because they trade their two star players in Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. They trade a key defender, um, Royce O'Neal, for a first round pick in an attempt to be terrible and get the first round, uh, first overall pick. And now there's four and one sitting close to atop the Western Conference finals and seemingly ruined Danny Ainge's plans to tank for Wembenyama. So I think that storyline is very interesting in terms of who now is in play for um, getting Victor Wembenyama. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it, it, people in the NBA and any sports teams, they're going to do whatever it takes to win. So I think, oh, I mean, some theories out there, and I don't know how much I trust these theories, how much I believe them, but a lot of them are saying that, look, the Lakers, why are they putting Russ down in the stretch he went 0 for 11 one game and you know he he said like laughably to the media I had a solid game uh, but why, why are you putting that kind of guy in, in the stretch uh, when you need to win a game and the theory out there this might sound crazy is that they you know trade value in today's league is well for winning for one but also for tanking so there's been talks of the Jazz and Lakers potentially having some kind of uh, trade, maybe involving Russell Westbrook. Because look, if you have Russell Westbrook, you have, you have, you know, star talent. You have something fresh where fans are going to show up to your games, but you could still easily tank very, very, very easily and still get away with saying you're not trying to tank. So I think it's a very interesting theory right now that's happening. Um, 
the Jaws might be sitting here being like, look, we're winning too much. Let's go get Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the funniest reports I've read that, you know, after the Jazz went 3-0, and immediately trade reports came about that they were talking with uh, the Lakers to try to see if they could land Russell Westbrook. And that's just a phenomenal that they started the season, won a bunch of games, and then realized that they might actually be too good and they're trying to offload some of their talent to see if they can uh, be even worse for Wembenyama. So I think that story is definitely uh, interesting as we see you know, how it develops and eventually who gets Wembenyama because as much as we're focusing on the team's positioning for him, whatever team gets him is going to be exponentially better. I think he's one of the likely the best prospects since LeBron. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, how that unfolds. Yeah, I mean, let's hope it's a magic. Probably not. I think we we've kind of gotten out of our uh, rebuild mode a little bit too um, too much too early. Yeah, I think I, I wish we could have gotten him. But at the same time, I think he's you know overall a little bit of an injury prone athlete. It seems like just based on his build, um, and I think you know there might be a little bit of overhype there, but we'll see. We'll see. I I definitely think he's a He's a high prospect individual, but and, and as no. you see from two to Orlando, Orlando boys, there will be some some magic talk on the basketball. I know that'll probably be unfamiliar to a lot of people. But <laughs> with with our analysis of basketball concluded, let's go into a segment that we're we're hoping to do every every recording um, until the football season ends, and that's highlighting a sneaky player that we think you can pick up off waivers for your fantasy team um i know know, with bye weeks coming up it's important to see if you can get a player off waivers who could potentially be the difference maker in your team i actually will go first because this might sound like a little bit of a homer pick but my player to watch out for is rahid shaheed repeat that one more time that's rahid shaheed he's a player for the new orleans saints my favorite team he was pulled up off of our practice squad two weeks ago when we had injuries to Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. In the past two weeks, he's had a 40-yard run touchdown and a 50-yard catch touchdown. And a with another week coming up where the Saints will be undermanned, it is likely that he will get some deep ball targets for potentially some good value coming off of waiver wires. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good one i think that's a good one for sure um i know a lot of people were talking about last week um isaiah uh, pacheco i think i'm I'm pronouncing that correctly um he kind of hurt my fantasy team a little bit because i guess against uh who are the chiefs playing last week the 49ers they played last week oh yeah that 44 point game yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it seemed like they wanted to have a little bit more of a run game um and they don't really have they have you know miss uh they have Edwards Hilaire, they have McKinnon, but I think they really wanted to have more of a like true running back um, that can, you know, pound the ball on the ground. And that's not really normal for the Chiefs, obviously. So I think Pacheco is is a great pickup that you can possibly add um, off the waivers if if your league has him available. Um, They might be involving the run game a little bit more, or that could have been a a one game option, but I think it's worth it to, you know, pick him up, keep on the bench and, you know, see how he does. And then next week, potentially start him if you have some buys coming up for your running backs. Um, But yeah, like I said, it hurt me a little bit. I had Edwards Hilarion and he, you know, 
didn't really do too, too much. Um, although he hasn't been doing too much in the last couple of weeks anyways, but how's your fantasy team doing, Max? Doing well, doing well. We're, we're one loss right now. So we're, you know, top of second in the league. Um, so not doing too bad. How about you? <laughs> not, not the same. I don't think it's the same. And I have five losses in, in both of my leagues. So oh. two and five in both of my leagues. Oh um, my. I think I have a good team. I think I have a good team. Early on, the first couple of games, I, I had Trey Lance. That was a terrible decision to draft Trey Lance. Need to go with more experienced quarterbacks, obviously. Um, so that, that really hurt me. But, you know, I have Cortland Sutton. I have Amon Ra. I have uh, pick, I, someone dropped Pickens. I don't know how that happened. I think maybe they were in a really serious situation. But I got Pickens off the waiver wires. Um, and I'm trying to make a trade right now for Najee Harris. Um, so we'll see. I have your man Olave as well. Yes. Traded, traded for him. Someone was very desperate for a running back. So I was able to get, um, him for James Connor. Yeah. Wow. So that was a steal, I think, in my opinion, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I we're, think, yeah. we're wishing everyone luck for their upcoming, uh, fantasy matchup and, Hopefully you're better than two and five. That's kind of bad. <laughs> okay, it's coming up. It's coming up. Look, I don't know why they don't do points for in these fans football leagues. I know it's like less fun, but if if we were going by points for, I would be in fifth place right now. It's I've been getting unlucky, but I believe we can it move, as well. I believe that. Certainly believe that. Yeah, but uh, you know, shifting gears to a little bit more of the the politics discussion. Um, there was a recent school shooting in, in St. Louis, um, and, you know, our thoughts and prayers definitely go out to the families that, you know, were involved in that situation, the victims of, of that school shooting. Um, but this is, seems like it's becoming, you know, an every week thing almost, or every month thing it's, it's happening a lot in America. And it was a 19 year old gunman to killed two people wounded several others at his former high school, um, Central Visual and Performing Arts School in, in St. Louis. Um, it was with an AR-15 style gun, 600 rounds of ammunition last year. Um, yeah, this is this is really devastating, really devastating. Yeah, so, and you know, one of the things I think I, I picked up on about this is how quickly the news cycle moved on um, from the shooting. It seemed like it was on the front page of CNN and within a couple hours, it was you know, lower down. And then within the day it was, it was off. And I think that speaks to kind of America's relationship with these school shootings, how it's, it's become so common and it happens, you know, more, it's more than once a month. It happens weekly. And it's gotten to a point where it's it, the citizenry has become numb and right? we almost expect, that there's going to be a school shooting. We expect gun violence in America, which is a horrible outlook to have and a horrible way to think about gun violence. But to me, that was the first thing that struck me was just how quickly we seem to acknowledge it and then just move on almost as if it was an afterthought. Whereas as in the past, maybe we had reacted more and there's been more pressure for gun reform. This one almost seemed like it happened. And then the next day it was, it was done. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I honestly was in class most of the day that it happened um, and didn't even know about it until, you know, I, I specifically 
made an effort to like look at the news to see what was happening that day. So you're right. It's, it's cycling through our news very, very quickly. Um, it seems like we're just numb to it now in America and it, it's very sad, but I think, you know, there's a couple of takeaways that, that you can really have. So this, this gunman um, had a note and left a note um, associated with the shooting. And it says, quote, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my entire life. Um, and thank God the situation was a lot better than I think it could have been. You know, police said that locked doors and a quick, quick first response from police prevented, um, you know, a catastrophic, what could have been a catastrophic mass shooting with 600 rounds of ammunition. Um, so that's, it's, it's really terrible to see. But, you know, going back to the point of the note, I think that, you know, my two takeaways were, were one, definitely that, you know, men's mental health is, is um, something that is a serious issue in, in this country. And I think that that's something that people need to look to, as well as a gun debate. Um, there also needs to be some conversation on, on the mental health side of it, because, you know, there's a, you know, complete, I think there's like a little bit of a lack of attention towards men, men's mental health, particularly. Um, I think that, you know, for, 40% of, of men don't talk about their mental health. Men are four times more likely to die by suicide than women. Um, and that's been on the rise since, since the 2000s. Um, Three-fourths of people that die by suicide are now men. Um, and I think, you know, things like these mass shootings are really symptoms of, of this kind of larger issue. Yeah, I mean, look, mental health is an issue for, it can be an issue for anyone. And it's certainly in America, a big issue for lots of people. But I think it is important to note the specific impact it has on the male population because there is this stigma of, you know, what masculinity is supposed to be. And it's supposed to be this fighting, you know, perseverance where you don't talk about your issues and you don't delve into your emotions. And certainly that is a big cause of a ton of these uh, mental health issues that we see prevalent in America. And certainly, is the reason for the increase in suicides, the increase in gun violence, the increase in mass shootings, as we've seen. So I always say, look out for the people around you, you know, extend a helping hand to your friends, to your family, to anyone you think that could be a need, because as much as we like to have a, you know, policy debate about guns, and I think is something that we can have, it's it's very hard for actual change to occur at that level. The best thing I believe that you can do is make sure that people are in a situation where they would never commit these types of atrocities. So if you see someone that's in need, refer them to help, be there as a support system for them. I think that's kind of a grassroots way that we can try to address some of these issues that are systemic within America. Yeah, no, systemic is a great word for it. I think it's very complicated, uh, but a lot more research needs to go towards it, um, and a lot more destigmatization of you know men getting help, men going to therapy, etc. Are, are all very very important. But like you said, the gun debate is also so also super important. Um, I think that you know we said it's fair. We're almost numb to this kind of like mass shootings happening almost every month now. It seems like. Um, and I, although this doesn't technically qualify as a mass shooting, 
it's especially in schools it, it's it's getting kind of crazy i think um you know one thing that's really unique to our generation is that we have you know these drills at school all the time um and we had it in high school a lot so it, it, it it's it's where is that breaking point where people are going to start realizing that something needs to change i don't think there really is one clearly um but obviously like it's it's very systemic these issues are very systemic um you know things like background checks the vast majority of americans want a background check um to get a gun right they want to implement that kind of system but there's certain entities preventing that from happening the nra is pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into lobbying every single year um to to prevent you know any background check legislation from happening happening even though a far majority of Americans, gun owners and non-gun owners, think that there should be some form of at least background checks uh, in, put in place. Yeah, I mean, from the policy debate, I think my viewpoint in particular is far more traditionally right-leaning than most people that I hang out with, and definitely more than Avi. But I think you have to start at a place of agreement. And I think if we say, why does this person have 600 rounds of ammunition? Why do they have an AR-15? And then work backwards from there and say, okay, what are common ground? What policies are common ground that we can kind of find? I'll be gave the perfect example of background checks. And there are reasons as to why some of these policies aren't happening, like NRA lobbying influence, that need to be addressed. But we as a nation should gather and say, what policies can we agree on? Agree on background checks, agree on tighter regulations, maybe ammo capacity, firing rate capacity restrictions. There are things that as a society we can all agree on that even if they're not solving the problem, go go a long way in curbing some of the damage that happens in these shootings. But it all has to come from a place of where we can find common ground and then build policy off that common ground. Yeah, I mean, I think. The biggest issue, though, here is that there clearly is common ground, um, but our politicians in Washington really don't care about that when the people that are writing the checkbooks are the ones that are the NRA, that are like the huge lobbying firms. And this dips into many different other conversations regarding pharma, oil, um, you know, gun legislation. It's it's a huge issue, I think, in the United States. Um, but in some ways, it's just, it's just very difficult to to really seem like there's an opportunity for hope or opportunity for solvency. Yeah. Well, we got to get money out of politics and we got to, we got to find a way to have the American voice mean more. And in terms of the American voice, meaning more, the midterm elections are coming up on November 8th of this year, just in just over a week. Um, We implore everyone to do their research on their candidates and policies that are being voted on and go out to the polls and do your civic duty of voting. Um, But we are in an interesting space of who's going to have control of Congress. Um, The Democrats right now have slim control, but there are key battleground seats that are being fought over. The Republicans mainly pushing their policies that the Democrats have failed the economy and a lot of the woes that are happening right now are due to Democratic control. The Democrats focusing mainly on abortion and the recent Dobbs ruling 
that and they're blaming some of these issues on the Republicans. So I'll be kind of what's your viewpoint of how this midterm election you think will shake out and kind of what's that what is that going to do for the last two years of the Biden administration? Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like it's Republican leaning. I would say most polls um, would more or less indicate that Republicans are gaining some sort of edge because of the economy. Um, And, you know, the debate can happen whether that's Biden's fault, whether that's um, Democrats' fault. Um, But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that I, in my opinion, it seems like, you know, Congress is going to be more or less red um, come coming these midterm elections. And that's going to create a very hard policy environment for Biden to get anything through in the first place. Um, and, and we've seen this in the last couple of, of years, especially. It doesn't seem like Americans really minds are being swayed too much. It seems like we're you know at a very partisan point in America where everyone's very made up their mind on whether they're, you know, abortion is, is something that's you know, you're not going to flip a lot of people's minds on. Um, but I think it seems like the Democrats, their strategy isn't trying to flip people onto their side. Rather, it's to get high voter turnout. Um, so if we can get, you know, if America as a whole can get a high voter turnout, I think the conversation becomes a little bit more interesting and a lot more competitive. But right now, it seems like the Republicans have a little bit of the control. Yeah. And I mean, as we'll develop in this podcast, you'll kind of get a, a sense of what Abhi and I's viewpoints are. But I generally have, you know, a a distaste for kind of both the Republican and the Democratic parties, both their approach to the elections, the policies that they're putting forward, the lack of focus on actual policy and more on kind of like a straw man sense of trying to win elections. So it will be a very impactful midterm election in determining how much Biden re- really will be able to do in his last two years uh, in office, potentially. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think I, I think a lot of the conversation um, should be more about policy, and I wish politics was more about that. Um, it's one reason why, you know, I get kind of tired of it and don't even, you know, you know, I, I love politics, but in my future career, that's something I definitely weigh of whether I want to do it in the first place is like, do I want to get caught up in this, like, you know, just our argument, arguments over just perception rather than actual policy. Um, so, you know, we're, we're at a very interesting point, like I said, um, in, in America's, uh, in America right now. So we'll see, we'll see where we go from here. But I think the Biden you know, the Biden for president kind of conversation is a very interesting one because you can be a Democrat. And I think there are a lot of Democrats out there that, you know, don't really think that Biden is fit to to serve another, you know, four years. But um, he's confirmed it now. His sec- press secretary has confirmed it now. So what do you think about what do you think about a potential another six years of Biden um, in office? I don't think it'll happen. I think I think if if Biden is the Democratic nominee, I don't think he has the ability to win a lot of those swing states, you know, the Rust Belt states, the Floridas that he's going to need to in order to to win the election. I think, you know, regardless of what I think on policy, because I would likely prefer Biden over a Trump or DeSantis, 
I don't think the majority of the public would be able to deal with his potentially declining um, capacities with that come with age. And so I think I think he'll likely be put forward as the candidate for the Democratic Party. But I don't think he has the ability to to win a national vote. Yeah, no, I think that would be a I mean, it seems like it will be a tragic misstep by the Democratic Party to to put him in as their leader. Um, I don't think that he's going to be able to. I completely agree with you. I don't think he's going to be able to rally as many people on the margins as he was able to in the previous election, because the previous election at the end of the day was an anti-Trump election for Democrats. It wasn't a pro-Joe Biden, um, you know, race. It was this guy is probably the most experienced. Everyone knows who he is. He's the most comfortable pick in order for us to beat Trump. Um, he's not super progressive like Warren or or Sanders. And I think that's why we decided to go to the polls like we did in 2020. But 2024 is a different conversation. And I think the next two years is very important for Biden, because if the economy does turn around, it does become more competitive for him to win that race. But right now, I think it's it's a very, very uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to win an election once based off people not liking your opposition. I think it's harder to do it twice. And if you have someone like DeSantis who doesn't have the baggage that Trump does, it becomes a, a very difficult task to do. Yeah, I, I think if we look at the Republican side of it, too, um, that's an interesting conversation as well, because, you know, we're both from Florida and, and their recent debate between the, the governor's debate between DeSantis and, and, and Charlie Chris, um, the, Demo- the Democrat running against uh, DeSantis, they had a debate and um, Charlie Chris basically called DeSantis out for potentially running in, in 2024 and said, can you tell the Florida people that you will serve out your four-year term? And DeSantis was completely blank faced. So it, it seems completely reasonable and probably true that uh, we're going to have some kind of show off between Trump and DeSantis. And I think that's going to be a very interesting, um, that's going to be very interesting because you know, DeSantis is this new player in the party, um, but Trump's voters are very, very loyal to him. But And he used Trump to get elected in Florida. All the campaign ads, if you recall, were all like, they were very amusing. It was like his baby with him. And it was like Trump, T-R-U-M-P. It was it was very bizarre, to say the least. But my point is that he used Trump to get elected. So I think it's, that's a very interesting conversation to have as well. Yeah, no, definitely be an interesting showdown um, with those two likely being the two frontrunners for the Republican uh, nomination. Yeah, yeah. Interesting time in America. Um, speaking of interesting times in America, I guess this is a blend of politics, sports uh, and music is uh, Kanye West has been in the news lately. And, you know, that's something we say a lot. But this time, he's really, really in the news. Um, Obviously, as many people know, he's said a lot of anti-Semitic comments that, you know, are completely distasteful. Uh, And this time, you know, everyone thought Kanye was uncancelable, but it's very clear that he is very cancelable. He's lost contracts from Balenciaga. Um, His Adidas partnership, Gap, came to an end recently. Um good uh sorry def jam 
unpaired with or t- cut ties with good music. Um, one of one of his his music uh, like groups or labels, so called. So that's that's very it's a very that's very um, you know this is a pinnacle time for Kanye West. What do you think? What do you think he's going to do with that? What do you think is going through his head right now? Yeah, well, I would I would be remiss to start any music discussion without first uh, giving a shout out to the goat, my current goat of hip hop, Lil Baby. Just dropped new album. It's only me. Phenomenal album. Everyone should give it a listen. But we don't need those size. But onto onto Kanye. Um, it seems like it's kind of it's we've been seeing the downhill trajectory, and in the past week and a half, two weeks, it's kind of it's spiraled out of control. Really. Um, I think there's tons of arguments to. There's actually not a lot of arguments about what he's actually saying because. I don't think there's many people that are saying that believe the comments he's saying are true or believe his comments about Jewish people are correct. I think the larger and more important issue is something we we kind of talked about when we had this the the gun uh, discussion is I th- I think it's a discussion about mental health and I think it's clear Kanye has discussed and I don't know the specifics but in the past some of his challenges with mental health issues mental health disorders and I think what we're seeing now is kind of a the apex of some of those issues. And to me, it really saddens me because I do think he is a highly skilled person at his craft. And I do think he, in his soul, probably wants to help people and to inspire people and to do good in the world. But I think because of some mental health issues that he has, He's unable to actually do that in a positive way and instead is creating a lot of problems um, for him and for, you know, minority groups in uh, society. So I think it is largely a discussion of what resources do we have about mental health and how can we address, um, you know, these types of you know mental health disorders in men? Yeah, no, I agree. And this is not to sympathize with with Kanye whatsoever, what he said whatsoever. But I do think that it's very, you know, we got to blame the media to a certain extent. Um, why are they just putting this guy with mental health uh, like diseases? It's been known. Why are they giving him a platform in the first place to speak and give him the opportunity to say, you know, controversial or distasteful things about minority groups like it, it doesn't make sense um they're definitely trying to do it for their ratings but it does impact people right there are closeted racists and um you know anti-semitists that are coming out and saying and agreeing with kanye and saying all these bad things and putting hate into the world but that's at the same time it's you know kanye is to blame for sure but um i think it's the media as well people you know shouldn't be having him on on his on his podcast there should be more resources um for people with like bipolar disease to like opportunities to um really help them um and you know it's a tough situation right because you know he's clearly like off the meds like like people like to say and you can't like force him to like do anything that is going to like help him um but it's a sad situation to see you know someone that was the goat in my opinion you know crashing down right now and um it's really hard to like be like yo i'm a i'm a kanye fan right now because you know completely disagree with what he's saying and what he really stands for right now yeah i mean this is certainly not a 
beautiful. This is more of like a dark, twisted fantasy right now. Um, <laughs> that were that were that were saying. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It is a bit. This is a sad. Um, kind of the downward spiral for someone who, you know, even like a couple months ago was, uh, such a big figure and motivating figure for a lot of people is is definitely sad to see. Yeah, and I think you know this is also an interesting conversation to have about. Um, everyone thought that you know Kanye was kind of like un- an uncancelable figure, um, and that cancel culture usually is like something that goes through the news cycles, like we were talking about uh, on like on the gun debate, um, and just quickly cycles out, right? Like someone gets canceled, people end their partnerships with them. We don't really hear too much about them or what's going on because the news moves on from it quickly. This Kanye situation seems like, you know, it's a new thing every single day because he's continually saying something and trying to justify what he's saying um, every single day. Um, So, you know, it's really interesting. um, And and to have like these big companies that are, you know, kind of dependent on like Adidas kind of got saved by Kanye in a way through the Yeezy uh, brand. Um, And it's very interesting to see that they cut ties with him. I think that was probably a majority of their revenue stream. I'm not too sure. Um, So, you know, people are really taking a stance on this. Yeah. But, uh, you know, thank you so much for for having um, this conversation with me and Max. Um, Stay tuned for for more episodes uh, coming up. um, And we'll hope to see you guys soon. Enjoy.